I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch... <laughs> we love to watch The Door That Wouldn't Close. Uh, I think it's something in the light. say something in the dirt i said do you want me to say that no you you did it you did oh, it. I, I just guessed i didn't know great bit great bit yeah, it's good hey, to have Aaron. bits back hey peter we're back uh yeah the bits we, are back well we love to watch is back the bits are back i would say this may sound like hyperbole but the boys are back in town yeah i would i would say that um i mean it's not hyperbole it's like a symbolic metaphor for us being I would say, back in a figurative location, which well, is a studio that doesn't <laughs> exist. I mean, we're in our own town. The boys are back in towns. I would, I would, I would uh, venture to say I've never left town. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, and also town. I think we, you live in San Diego. I live in Minneapolis. They're probably in the top twenty-five metro areas of mm-hmm. the United States, uh, contiguous. Continental. Oh yeah, because you know Juno is a city of fifteen million. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I think Oahu, the island, is eighty billion. <laughs> By my count, uh, but yeah, we we are we I counting mean, territories? Because Guam, I mean, that's like six New York stacked on top. Of the U.S. Other. Virgin Islands. I think that's <laughs> what the terrorists on nine eleven were trying to get to. Um, if I remember. topical, it's very topical. Yeah, I I try I try to keep things current. Uh, do you mm. remember Guantanamo Bay? I well, I wasn't there, but yes, I remember. The like, country. if I was to say name the first three bays that come to mind, I think Michael Guantan- Michael beats Guantanamo. I'm you sorry, think? it's word association. You can't get mad at me. What would be the, what work. would be number three? Um, the oh man, that's not even a bay. That's a golf. <sighs> Shit. No golf. Shit. Um, I would probably say, bay, like, you know, bay, like, like, like baby, like. You're my not little like baby. down by the bay? You don't remember that children's song? Uh, Where the watermelon grows? the dock of the bay. Oh, that's better. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, but yeah, where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme, we do movies over the course uh, of a month or something like that around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. Uh, we just wrapped up a month of Star Trek. Thank you for showing me the present I got you for your birthday. <laughs> Unca- we haven't you. really introduced that as an inside joke into this podcast, but thankfully yeah, we've been moving, doing Star Trek and we've been doing other things. So we have time for our surprise 350th to be uh, what you're what you're holding up there. But um, <laughs> we, uh, uh, we yeah, we took a month and we did Star Trek. We're back to We Love to Watch. This is actually our first, Peter, our first We Love to Watch theme month for the year. Right? No, that's not true at all. We did February, and we did the the uh, failed franchises. So strike that. I don't know what I'm. In talking some about. ways, this month isn't special at all. This month is not. And special. In that way, it's very special. We are 
we're, but we're back to something that we do, I think, pretty well and talk about something that we like quite a bit. We're doing another uh, Cosmic Horror Lovecraftian-inspired month. I don't know if we came up with a name. I I kind of like uh, Spring Forward Lovecraft. It's great. Great. Spring Forward great. Lovecraft. In the future, when Daylight Savings Time is abolished, no one will understand that reference, but that's okay. And then good. We don't need <laughs> Daylight Savings Time. I'm saving enough. Um, but yeah, we're doing four episodes on Lovecraftian horror movies. We're starting with a pretty recent one. Came out November in the United States outside of the festival circuit. Uh, Something in the Dirt by two of our favorite boys, uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Mm-hmm. I almost reversed their names. but I For a second, I, I was like, is he doing a bit? Nope. No, I, I think got, you're right. I got it right. And then we're going to do Annihilation. We're going to do The Empty Man, uh, and we're going to do a couple episodes of Cab, The Cabinet of Curiosities, Del Toro's new Netflix show that we both loved when we saw uh, it over Spooktober. But we're yeah. stuck. We're so I'm excited for all that. Uh, I've seen everything else we're going to cover this month, and I love it. I think Annihilation was both very high on our list of like favorite movies in 2018 when we did that episode. I think The Empty Man was both on our lists in 2020 mm-hmm. when we did that episode, and uh, Cabinet of Curiosities was our highlights from our Spooktober recap. So we're about to get into a bunch of stuff that we love. It's right in our horror cockles, and uh, we're doing a movie. By I think we've covered all their movies. We we've covered the endless. We've covered uh, resolution. We've covered spring. We just haven't covered uh, synchronicity. Synchronicity. Yeah, synchronic. Yeah. Synchronic. We've actually we've even covered the short that they did within VHS viral. We did. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Did you end up watching synchronic? Yeah, I did. Um. It's definitely their weakest movie, but it's still like it's still a, okay. It's still a completely unique little mindfucky kind of psychological horror experiment. It's a movie. It's a movie that I wanted to love, um, but alas, I just like. Yeah, and uh, I've watched Moon Knight too, which I really like. But it's it doesn't. Well, besides being like a very different Marvel show, it doesn't necessarily feel like the rest of their work, right? And they're just doing some editing <laughs> on it. Are you saying the MCU hammered a unique, uh, a unique set of voices? I would. Well, so I know they were. They were not. The Maybe sole these guys creators. wanted to pay off their mortgage or something. <laughs> I would, they're not the sole creators of that show, but I would say it is definitely the most unique and has almost no ties to the. I don't think it has any ties to the rest of the MCU besides just being Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty good though. Um, yeah, so we left them last. We did a double episode of Resolution and the Endless. And here's the thing about the Resolution or Resolution and the Endless. Both of those movies, when I watched them initially, I liked them and I appreciated them, but I don't think I loved them. And it wasn't until we rewatched both and realized a how connected those two movies are. Like mm-hmm. I, I mean, I remember watching the Endless and thinking, "Oh, cool! It exists in the same universe as." Uh, as resolution, not realizing that like the endless is kind of like this recognition of like these almost like pocket universes that exist within these cults. And essentially for resolution, we were watching one of the pocket universes. And so like the endless really changes the scope of that movie and kind of expands the whole 
thing of what's going on between those two movies and like watching them back to back, I ended up falling in love with both of them. They went from three and a half star movies to I think five star movies. The Endless especially is like, oh, that's one of my favorite horror movies of the last 10 years. Uh, I absolutely love it. When I saw Spring for the first time, that was their only movie that I absolutely loved upon first watch. It was a five-star movie. It was even before we had this podcast and I was making best of the year list for movies. I think it was like number one or number two on the list that I made that year. Like I was in love with that movie. And I'm mentioning that because I don't, I was not in love with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, upon first watch, I, it's in that like I respect it, I like it. It's also a COVID quarantine movie where they shot it in, I think, uh, Justin Benson's apartment specifically in LA, and kind of over the course of a year while they were kind of working on other projects and obviously limited in leaving the house and stuff like that. And why I'm mentioning that is I honestly I, I feel like a lot of people. For the reviews for this movie, it's a very well-reviewed movie. People call it a great example of like a COVID-era filmmaking and a return to form after Synchronic. And I can't help but wonder, would I like this more upon a second watch? Because <laughs> it is a really different movie that's, that takes you in a lot of d- different directions. There's a ton I liked, but I think also what I'm kind of excited to talk to you about in this episode, Peter... It's like, I don't think I have it all f- puzzled together in my brain yeah. yet. Like, yeah, I don't I think that's that'll be a fun thing to do. And yeah. weirdly enough, the movie is telling you not to do that. Well, yeah, because um. it's yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get into that. And that's how I felt about en- the endless, too. Like when I saw it the second time, and I saw it close, uh, so close to resolution. I feel like a bunch of shit that I didn't get clicked into place and i went from i i I like this quite a bit to i absolutely love this movie and that could happen with this movie but you're right this introduces a different element element too where does anything that you're seeing even matter at the end of the day and is there more clues to be gained besides maybe just one character's uh, intentions a little bit earlier, which already seemed a little bit off to begin with. So I'm excited to get into it. Peter, what was your kind of impressions of watching this for the first time before we kind of go through plot and everything else? Base base level, you and I are pretty close on this one, um, as is not uncommon for the show. Uh, issue, uh, Resolution and The Endless, I watched them the first time and I was like, it's a four out of five because it's something I've never seen before. Yeah. But like, I think I need to give this a little time to, to cook. And then over the coming days on both of, ex- excuse me, on resolution, I walked away. And I was like, it's very cool. Yeah. I didn't watch it again for a few years. And then I came back. I loved it. The And then The Endless was coming out. I watched it, <clears throat> had slightly more of a positive initial reaction, but I still like it took me a few days. And then I rewatched The Endless pretty quickly because I was like, oh, yeah. this is how some of their movies work. They're kind of, it's not even puzzle boxes. They're just sort of... Um, they're a piece of art that needs to be viewed from the right perspective. It's like the um, ashtray uh, quartz crystal in the movie, in a sense. Like yeah. a particular a particular set of elements needs to align, and then you're like, you see it at the right angle. The reflection comes out, and you go, "Holy shit, that's what they were doing." <laughs> um, that's miraculous. Yeah. In spring, I was like, I was like five out of five, ready to go. Yeah. And then something in the dirt, I had a four out of five, really liked it kind of reaction, similar to the endless, but. What's weirdly happening is similar to the endless is that in the since in the forty eight hours since I've watched it, 
and really glad I didn't watch this like right before we recorded or something. In the 40 hours since I've watched it, stuff keeps jogging in my head. It keeps turning and turning and turning mm-hmm. like I'm one of the protagonists in the movie. And I'm like liking the movie more now. Pieces are clicking together. And I would not be shocked if in the in the next week I rewatch it. Um, because I want to see like what else I missed. Not from a... Not from a, oh, there's a, there's one more clue I missed. Like when people would watch Inception. Yeah. And like, oh man, I missed that, you know, Ames says this in the first scene or whatever. Um, I missed, like, I missed like the um, thematic elements that like, I just thought a line was a funny joke, but it's actually like unlocks the entire theme of the movie. That kind of cool stuff. Uh, I want to go and find more of that. I literally have five pages of notes. There's no way in fuck we're going to get through everything I have to say about this movie. But, like, let's uh, let's dive in, man. Yeah, it, that's funny because I, I feel like I have a lot of, like, little moments and other things. But, like, yeah, I don't – at some point, too, it was kind of hard to, to keep notes, too. Because let's let's talk about this before we go through the movie. So the at the highest level, you have a lot of notes. You're something. I've, this character. I, I've been fully, I've been fully on two different types of legal pad because I have like a white legal pad at work and I have a yellow one at home. I'm holding up uh, all the insane notes with the side notes that I, I keep at work. Yeah. So actually, let's back up a second. Like this is in the genre of movies that are called like COVID movies, mm-hmm. right? They were shot while filmmakers had limited access to crews, limited access to budget, and, like, they shot this. They were like, we have, essentially, they shot this over a year. And and I imagine that also meant that the film changed. Now, Justin and Aaron in their movies, they've acted them before. They had small parts in Resolution. They were the main characters in Endless. They're very, like, they're long-time, lifetime friends. And so they have a very natural way that they talk and, and, and relate to each other that actually for people that I would say are not bad actors, but kind of non-actors, right? They only essentially act in like their movies. They are they are good actors for the roles that they play, but I don't think they would be like, I'm going to go star in like some acting heavy. Like that's just not their, that's not their vibe. They're good in these types of movies, right? I could see them getting talked into it the way that Quentin Tarantino got talked into doing uh, From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Like ultimately he stars in his own movies when he's like, you know, I just can't find the right guy for this. So the right guy didn't show up in Australia or whatever. Like I'm going to, I'm going to step in. Yeah. And like so many of these movies that came out are kind of considered generally like pretty bad, right? Like there's, and because people didn't really know what to do. And I think, but I do think there is like a subset that are like these horror movies that worked out really well. Like mm-hmm. Hosts is a fantastic movie. Um, is it called Host or Hosts? I think it's just called Hosts. Hosts. Yep, you're right. Um, In the Earth is a movie that I, that I love ben, quite ben a bit. The movie that yep. we should probably cover someday. Yeah. Uh, those are like really good examples, I think, of like horror movies doing this. And it makes sense, right? Because so many horror movies like host works as a, I would say a better version of unfriended. Like we're going to do horror on laptop screens. Everyone's actually going to be in their own apartment. We're going to stage these things. And this kind of takes that presence of, Hey, we're in your apartment anyways. We're hanging out. So this is going to be easy for us to, to do at least from the premise of like, we don't need a big crew. We're going to, we're going to frame it up so that there's a narrative reason for, 
a lot of like shots from phones and shots from drones and shots from these other cameras that we can tell a story. The one thing, though, that does feel really different than a lot of those other COVID movies, like if you read about In the Earth or Host or uh, even some of the like the not so good ones like uh, or like or I guess Kimi, I guess, is considered pretty good. Uh, like Songbird or some of those romantic comedies. Oh, wow. Yeah, bad. some of them just d- turned into vapor. Yeah. Was Malcolm and Marie, um, the Sam, Sam Levinson movie, was that a COVID movie? Limited cast, black and white, small crew. Uh, it's not listed on this, but I don't. Oh, okay. I mean, it could be. Um, I think it's just a couple who arguing in their house, and I think it came out in like 2021. I assumed it was a COVID production. There was like that screamish movie called Sick that everyone was like, oh, the is that the... Which is like written by Kevin Williamson that everyone's like, this sucks so bad. But like one of the things that is like very typical of all those movies, whether they're, whether they're romantic comedies, whether they were like Steven Soderbergh, whoever, you know, whoever it is, it was like they shot them pretty quick. Right. Like I have this idea. I have a cast available to me. A small cast usually. I have a couple of people to, to hold cameras. We're going to go. We're going to shoot this in eight weeks. And we're going to get back to our quarantine or whatever else it is. And this is a weird one because they shot it over a year. And it does have the sense of something that, like, they may have started kind of going, well, let's just start with this idea and then we'll build off it. It's kind of a weirdly long movie. It's two hours long for what's essentially two guys talking in their apartment for 90% of the movie. Um, so I do think it's unique even among kind of those pandemic made movies in that it, it wasn't a quickie that someone, you know, produced and released while they had the time. They spent a good chunk of 2021 making this movie and coming up with new scenes and writing new scenes. So that's somewhat unique. And then the other thing that's really unique from a framing device that they don't get into until later the movie that I think makes sense to start here is that... It's framed as a narrative that we are seeing scenes from. Like, it's not mm-hmm. shot like a mockumentary to begin with. We, we think we're just seeing, like, indie filmmaker. It looks like Resolution. It looks like The Endless. Like, they have their cameras. They're shooting each other. But halfway through the movie, you realize that a lot of those se- that we actually are seeing a found footage or a documentary, mockumentary movie... And all of those other scenes, I think, are supposed to be reenactments that look better that they shot because the rest of the footage was, like, destroyed, which happens during a plot-based thing. So that – and so we're seeing – because we see an interview very early on and it doesn't seem to fit with the style of the movie – and then it's not till later that the they start talking about the editors that are working on it. They have interviews with the editors. And you realize, like, well, you guys have started making this as a documentary. And now because you lost so much of the early footage, you reshot everything and acted. And then sometimes we see scenes of them rehearsing lines before they do. So, like, now there's, a, there's still a narrative within there because it's not like Justin – Benson and Aaron Moorhead are making a movie and we're seeing that. It's not that. They're playing their characters throughout. But what does happen is that what we think we've seen, which is a movie about two people who try to make a documentary, becomes the actual found footage documentary 
that was created with a combination of documentary components and reenactments that are part of the narrative designed for potentially the evil motivations of one character to try to get rich and famous. So it's very complicated. And yes. obviously you don't know for the first half that what you're seeing is is not a, a, a separate entity filming scenes that we're seeing as these characters in this movie create a documentary, but acted scenes by the actual characters in the movie who were shooting it. So it's very complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, and it's probably a great place. I think you jumped in in the right place. So yeah, this is a movie that is trying to blur the lines between um, a documentary and a uh, traditional narrative film in a way I've never really seen before. Yeah. And in a way I find fascinating. Because, yes, yes at first they have the rug pull moment when a do- one of the, the, the people featured in, in the documentary, one of the talking heads. And one of the fun things about the movie is that there's this asshole, John, who's one of the roommates. Levi is more of the gullible, sweet guy. He's a functional alcoholic, but like essentially sinless. Like he's, he's essentially innocent. Um, Besides all of his sins. Well, well, but like there were, you know, there were crimes of passion not, or accident. He doesn't really, he's not really like responsible for anything. He's no, done, really. no. Like, yeah. Um, I, I, obviously we're all we'll responsible for what's happened to us, but we'll get to that later. It's actually part of the misdirection. John is in some way guiding the narrative because John is shooting selectively, ignoring Levi's ideas, interviewing yeah. these talking heads. The talking heads think he's a fucking joke. And one of them says... Why did you, if you, if you weren't interested in getting rich and famous, why did you film yourselves in the recreations? Why did you not draw a line between the recreations and the original footage that's easier to suss out? Use the same equipment, yep. you use the same actors, use the same apartment, and um, even there's some, some uh, supposition that he either tried or successfully did get... Um, hired but didn't pay special effects companies to yeah. perform some of the stuff. Yeah, so you, yeah, so the you, movie we're... I mean, that's... To, to, to say it simply, the movie we're seeing f- from frame one is the movie that John and Levi, mostly John, created. Yeah. We're but what's not, interesting is right? there's... But what's interesting is that, and what's kind of messy here, is that, and it's kind of necessary... John doesn't have full control of the narrative of the movie because there's many moments that make John look bad that end up in the movie anyways. So I wonder if the movie has a combination of footage that John shot in intending for or that, you know, would have made it into the documentary, didn't make it into the documentary, and also just things that happened during the production. What if this is actually the raw footage, every single fucking thing that was shot? And John is later going to come back and cut it into a narrative that makes him look good. And at the end of this, he's going to look like this guy that discovered. Well, he's so going to be the next guy who shot the Bigfoot tape. But maybe right now we've got two hours of we've got two hours of rough film. A lot of it makes John look really bad. And a lot of it may or may not have happened. <laughs> well, but everything we're seeing is either a documentary footage or a reenactment that was shot to frame up the documentary footage when they apparently lost everything they were filming. Uh, yes, but I do also question the lost everything they were filming. Well, yeah, I mean, but regardless. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so like all the early scenes which are shot on not shot in a documentary f- format. 
mm-hmm. are the scenes that these characters reshot and restaged mm-hmm. to fill in the gaps for when they so like as the movie goes on at the beginning of the movie there's much less documentary footage and then by the end of the movie it's like 50-50 documentary footage and they explain that because all the footage of the first half got destroyed lost unavailable whatever and they acted they wrote parts and they hired special effects to do everything we saw in the first half of the movie it is like incredibly incredibly complicated and i yeah the other thing is that there so they have seven we know that they had at least seven editors on this film (laughs) because they interviewed the seventh they also say that they are taking all this footage and putting this together and John and Levi are saying, you make, like, we will stay out of this and you put it together. So I do think that you can say from a narrative perspective or metatextual, like, what's happening in the movie, that one of what we're seeing is one of these editors, maybe the last one's cut of the movie. Right? Yeah. We're not So, like, that's probably why it has stuff that makes John look bad. You're right. This isn't, like, found footage and, like, this is what necessarily got released but this is definitely a cut of everything they put together both reenactments that are not labeled as reenactments and thus we think it's just you know justin and aaron the writers and directors filming themselves as characters that we find out is not it is justin and aaron filming uh as Levi and John filming Levi and John in these scenes that those characters are writing. So yeah, it's, it's insanely complicated what we're seeing. I also think like that is why I think it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about, but also why it maybe will not connect with me really ever the way a spring or the endless does, because Ultimately, it's a very fat. Like what you're right. I've never seen anything like this in a movie, and that is fascinating. And that deserves. I mean, this is this is a great thing that they put together. I'm I'm in no way saying that like you know I I don't like this or I don't think this is a fascinating movie by two like of my favorite directors working, but it is ultimately like everything you're we're seeing. This is like for a lot of reasons a bad touch point, but I'm going to use it because I think it's the most pre- most like relevant. This doesn't have a sixth sense ending where what you see changes the way that you've seen everything else. It kind of has a usual suspects ending where oh everything we're seeing matters in the sense that. It's letting you know what kind of character Kaiser Sose is, but it, uh, none of it really, like, happened in the way that we were thinking it happened. And this is the same. Like, you are seeing a two, uh, uh, a lonely person who wants to get rich and has some severe control and potentially, like, emotional issues who wanted to get rich and exploit his friend making a horror movie and we're seeing the horror movie that he created. So, like, it's a lot about that and that character, but it's not necessarily, like, a horror movie in the sense that, like, like I expected something more horrific and Lovecraftian. And instead, it's more about, like, one sociopathic manipulator exploiting a, a well-meaning friend to to try to get rich making a horror movie. Yeah. And I, I, right? uh, I was, well, yeah, I, uh, 
think that we'll have to discuss in a moment, in a moment, yeah. uh, how much of this we think happened. Let's do that after the, after the, the little break. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cause that's, that's, that's the body here, right? How much of this really happened? What, what are we looking at? And how do we get little indications that John is a fucking piece of shit, liar, fascist asshole? Yeah. We'll get to that. Uh, why did I really want to cover this for this month? Well, for one, I hadn't seen this movie. Two, it exists in the Endless Resolution universe. Both of those are, you know, pretty fair excuses. Wait, do, is actually, it supposed to exist in the same universe as? Oh yeah, there's tons is? of there's tons of connections, and uh, I can I can go through all those in a little bit because they're kind of part of my okay. my whole spiel on like all the. I didn't I didn't do on. the connection research. Like it doesn't like surprise me, but again, so much of what we were seeing that that did pick my cosmic horror weird cult interest ends up being like admittedly fake at the end of the movie like the the geometric shapes the uh pythagorean cult like at the end john's like basically like yeah none of that actually really existed (laughs) like so so like all all of that kind of like i liked that i was actually invested in like oh i love what they're doing this is good this is good weird shit it's like that one documentary that they made about that la weird cult in the 70s that put all those weird geometric puzzles up everywhere oh yes yes yes. and the like twin b tiles yeah yeah um was no was it the twin b tiles was that what it was uh, i i know the twin b tiles were the thing where people put t- tiles everywhere and then our friend ethan warren ended up using sort of that as inspiration no there was like this film. weird thing that like you had to solve these puzzles and it led to this weird cult in la in the like 70s mm. and 80s they made this great documentary about it um i, I bet the zodiac killer started it he moved Trump? it down from the Maybe. bay area but like um, that's what it was reminding me and obviously like justin benson and aaron moore had do great weirdo cult like what's the shape stuff but like What's interesting about it is that, like, that very specifically didn't go anywhere because the character at the end is, like, he doesn't say this explicitly, but is saying, like, I made all that stuff up, basically. There was no connection to anything. Like, yeah. And so, we'll, yeah. We'll get, yeah, we'll, the we'll get there. But that's why, like, it doesn't hit my, it hits my weird mindfuck, like, layers of, of meta-narrative and meta-textual narrative and stories within stories thing it doesn't hit my lovecraftian horror cockles and that's not a slight that's not saying it's bad or good yeah, yeah, it yeah. just isn't doing the same thing so it did hit mine and it's for a very specific reason and it's not just that it has connections to the previous movies which means you know like this exists in the same universe that a cosmic horror entity exists a yeah. being it exists that's not really that's kind of cheap right um what the reason that I, I think that it works so well here is because I have a fundamental belief, and we'll get into this in a moment, that they did see something unexplainable, strange at the beginning. And then John took that as a jumping off point to start doing weird shit. Yep. Um, and to start manipulating Levi, maybe some of it happened, maybe some of it didn't, worth exploring. However... They saw something weird, unexplainable, strange, cosmic, and then they proceeded to try and, excuse me, John proceeded, not they, John proceeded to try and wrap logic and conspiracy theories and chase this, like, fake logic and conspiracy theories, and it's essentially tried to Ben Shapiro debate club this thing into 
a rational part of the universe that could be explained if you just dig deep enough. If you just if you just go like another six feet down, like we definitely have the answer. But what about another 12 feet down? Actually, the answer is down there. If you just work hard enough at this, you can explain the fundamental mysteries of the universe. And Levi has an approach where he's like, I've got some theories, I'm willing to play along with this, but like some of this stuff is just inherently unex- unexplainable. And John's pursuit of the, the of finding a reason for this to exist, or John's uh, need to find a context and to feel superior intellectually and to feel like he's won one over and he's captured in a bottle some mm-hmm. essential element, some essential mystery of the universe that no one else got his sense of importance around that destroys Levi. It, 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 it has broader, it has broader impact outside of just like an asshole who lives alone ends up, you know, maybe being a little famous. So what, and I think that the cosmic horror element of that is that there's this, uh, this, this central mystery, something weird happened. They're trying to assign, uh, they're trying to assign logic. They're trying to assign meaning to it. And, uh, specifically, John is trying to assign meaning to it, just the way that like it, any Lovecraftian protagonist is like trying to f- figure out, trying to solve like what is this weird thing that happened, and eventually drives them them cuckoo pajamas. Yeah. Um, the just like that, we've got that, but it's connected to something that I love, which is something they've done with Spring and other movies, something with heart, because what this movie is ultimately about in the end credits, they say it, dedicated to making movies with your friends. This is a movie that's that firmly comes down, I think, like on the side of, of people like Levi who are saying, you know, these mysteries are beautiful. They're worth they're worth considering. They're worth diving into. But like ultimately, you have to accept that these mysteries exist. And when you try and be better than the mysteries, very often you end up just going fucking like off the rails. You end up disassociating. You end up fabricating reality to try and make unreality real. And I, I that's why I think it's a great cosmic horror movie because it marries the craziness of a cosmic horror like mystery with like the very grounded nature that like there is shit in life that we will never fucking understand even down to stuff like why, how did you and me become friends, Aaron? Like because we joined a Facebook group? Like there's weird shit that, that like... Like, there's weird shit in life that just happens to line up timing-wise and the right amount of elements. And in many, many universes, you and I are not sitting here in this room. Yeah, so I I like all that. I don't... My interpretation of the movie, and this is a movie open to interpretation, so this is not like a... uh, My interpretation of the movie is different, though. Like, I think that essentially what, what gets revealed is that John, from the start has been manipulating Levi and essentially creating fake mysteries that he is acting like he also believes in in order to manipulate him. When they start going on that wild goose chase and they go to the cabin and there's these clues that like these like the radio going to this and the dates and stuff like that, like there's almost a point where essentially like Levi starts figuring out that John has been planting all of these things from the beginning mm-hmm. to and then saying we should go check out this and then being pretending to be amazed. Even the initial light disruption that like again we only see a reenactment of that we don't realize is a reenactment is John walking in and went like I think there's a ghost in here. Like I, I don't think so. I think he's manipulating. A, a, I don't think so. I think the original the original event binds them together. Something weird did happen with that weird piece of quartz. 
Something strange happened. They saw it. Maybe they saw it a second time. Maybe they only saw it that one time. And after that, Levi was hooked on the mystery and the promise of accompaniment. And he was able to be manipulated by a fascist after that. The the weird barnacle skull, all the weird, the tile that he finds under the house, the dead cats, like all of that shit is obviously manipulated. But I think the in, initial, the initial mystery hat for me has to be something. It has to be real. It has to be grounded. Yeah. It ha- it has to be it has to be something that actually happened to some extent. I mean, every but if you look at every and we're going to talk about all this, everything is. I think if you were to watch it again, as the things that I'm remembering as I look back is like, oh, John's the one who said that cactus looked on his phone and was like, this is there isn't anything like this because Levi doesn't have that a smartphone. Like everything that happened is him like sowing these seeds and being like Levi can you believe this oh my god and then Levi gets sucked up on it and like as you get further into the movie there's this all this evidence that John has been manipulating everything from the get go so maybe I don't think he's I don't the evidence is that he manipulated factors to keep this production going I don't well, think like, there's any but I, so I don't think there's evidence that movie, he manipulated like the original called chase and the cats and like all just that because early he stuff. manipulated, but just because he manipulated all that other shit, does it mean that he could manipulate a miracle happening in front of his face? Well, but I mean, again, we be, the the movie calls up very. Why else clearly, would Levi be? Why, why else would Levi get involved in all this shit? Well, I, what did I Levi mean, see? John's the one who walked into that room and said, "Hey, I saw this." We also know that Levi's and been Levi going walked into, in and saw it as well. Well, later he saw saw. It. We also know that two seconds two seconds later. He says, come over here. There's also, though, a scene of where we find out that John's been going into the apartment when he's not there to rig Mm -hmm. stuff and other things. So, like, it – maybe they – again, you could say it as maybe they saw something and John got so obsessed with the idea of this bigger horror cultish conspiracy that he then spends the rest of the movie manipulating Levi. Or you could posit that he manipulated him from the get-go – to bring on this wild goose chase, wild goose chase. Even then, though, I would say, like again, the the kind of like cosmic core of what was this, at like I think we agreed at most, if there was a true cosmic incident, it was a floating quartz and a weird light for a second, and then basically that was it. Like they even script out. I, we, there's we, two we, things. Well, hold on, I, I believe. Hold on. There's two things I believe. But that they even and, later and Levi script- was killed by the that Levi was killed by the presence. Oh, I don't think that at all. Um, but we'll we'll get there. I but I I they even script out later when the apparitions are going to stop happening to both of them. So like if they're scripting when the floating stops and the mysterious thing, like if then. I think you can make the case that they probably scripted or there's some level of manipulation that begin because why are they literally saying, okay, and then it's going to stop. And then like, I, we see I, all I, that. We but see I agree that with scene. you, but I agree with you that obviously like we're on the same page that the later shit ha- is obviously fake. It's the idea is that some weird thing happened that after that point, maybe for the rest of the movie, maybe everything is unexplainable just nothing it's sorry everything that is unexplainable i believe that when you get to the end of the movie you find out that most of this is probably manufactured i think that the movie largely works if you consider that they saw something very strange and very actually unexplainable at the beginning john says uh levi says to john were you scared and he said i was scared 
for a minute and then he basically registers the like oh but i can make something out of this i think that the movie works best when you accept that something happened at the beginning that's unexplainable weird cosmic event and then after that john started manipulating shit left and right started sneaking to the apartment to 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 make events he started convincing levi he started finding these threads to piece together in a arc that he was doing i just think the movie the movie works works way better when if you accept that they saw something that changed them both a little bit levi was willing to accept it as a mystery of the universe and then john manipulated him um into following him down this rabbit hole because levi was a fundamentally lonely man levi was a fundamentally very um uh, impressionable man and levi may, may not even be dead but we can get into that later the the idea is that i think that the movie works better if two men stood in a room saw something fucking unexplainable right when they meet and then after that point John starts tweaking reality. He's gaslighting Levi. He's faking reenactments. He's convincing Levi that actually it's maybe more honest to film the reenactment this way. I just think I just think the the whole process works better when you take like those early scenes yeah. on as a as a genuine as a genuine thing that happened, and then somebody witnesses somebody witnesses a mystery. How do they react to it? Do they keep trying to replicate it like it's a scientific experiment? Like, or yeah. do or do they just uh, accept that it's a mystery of the universe? Yeah, I guess it, regardless of whether it, the initial event is manipulated or it's some weird thing that they both think they're witness, I do agree that like the kind. I mean, that's like. All the like, I saw Jesus and toast, you know, did that person think they saw Jesus and toast? Or did they think, holy shit, I could pass this off as Jesus and get rich on it? Like, yeah, like, you know, and then or is it that they initially thought they did see Jesus and toast and then they were obsessed with the fact that it could make them famous and people could come see it and stuff like that. So, like, I think like. Either way, and that it has to be Jesus and Toast at that point. Like it has yeah. to be. <laughs> Either way, it works. I just think we get such a sense of John manipulating things and knowingly manipulating things and have motivation for manipulating things that, like, I think it. Regardless, the movie is not about the weird stuff and the way that we interpret it. It is about like someone using the weird stuff and our. You know, he even calls it out at one point. John's like, are you like, or I forget if it's Levi or John, but they kind of like, when I, I feel like when I watch this again, a line that I'll be like, oh, okay, well, that explains a lot more of it is that like, are you sure that we're just not, we are seeing all these things because we've all watched the same, you know, we watch all the same movies and we want all this stuff to be real. Like they have that moment in the movie where they're saying like, Hey, were we just kind of like playing along because we wanted this from the get go? And I think that's Levi recognizing that maybe none of this ever was 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 real. So I I guess that's my point. Like I I think either way, whether there's an inciting a real inciting incident or not, I think everything after that is I think we're aligned on. But I think that's the point where it doesn't feel like cosmic horror that much to me because like that is whether it happened or not is such a minor part to everything else and everything else is not weird cosmic coincidence it is john using an a perceived incident to manipulate and exploit his friend using the trappings of like pop culture horror conspiracy cult stuff 
All I'm, all I'm saying is that it's way more interesting to me that two men think they saw something. I have friends who, I have friends who they stayed, they went on a, a long hiking trip in the UP, um, at the Upper Peninsula in Michigan for people that aren't Midwesterners. Uh, they went on a long trip, they went hiking, they did some like lean-to camping in the snow, they did a bunch of shit. And then they were like, we're going to stay in this haunted hotel on their way back somewhere in Michigan, I forget. Uh, maybe part of the le- the legend is that I don't know exactly where the hotel is. They stayed in a hotel. One of them woke up in the middle of the night, sprung out of bed, because yeah, he saw something in the corner. The other one sat up in bed. They saw an apparition come into the room. They described it the same way. Yeah. I wasn't there that morning to take them in separate interrogation rooms and, and match well, details you should like a cop you would. But they, they they described essentially the same story to each other the next morning. I don't think they realized that they were actually like blending two narratives together. And, and one of them was saying, you know, maybe I did see that. And then the ne- by the next day, I did see that. <laughs> I think it's more interesting. That's kind of what happens here, though, right? Like but I think John sees it first and he's like, wow, this weird light stuff. And then Leo's like, I don't see anything. And he comes in and all of a sudden they're like, do you feel the light? And then the things start like, I, I don't know. But my point is this. They both thought and truly believed when they woke up in the morning that they saw something. And I think it's better to, it's it's more interesting and we can go deeper places than just, John's a liar. John made a lot of stuff up. Like, the idea that John actually saw. Everything we're seeing in those moments are reenactments scripted by, like, that's the problem. Like, I don't. It just doesn't make sense to me that Levi would go along with this unless he had, he had some sort of bait. He had one weird thing. Well, happen I think that was I think he's I think he's a desperate, you know, drunk who's down on his luck. Who someone is reaching out and yeah. like I mean I don't know. It's like not, it's just not how I read the movie though. I am not saying that that is for sure the case. I do think like the usual suspects, it is hard to go and say, well, maybe this kind of happened and this part was true because again, everything that we're seeing at the beginning of the movie is John's scripted reenactments of what happened. So we. We don't see the actual incident from the perspective mm-hmm. of a, even the character's documentary manipulator or otherwise. And we know that some of the things that we were seeing in those scenes later on were made by special effects people. Like, mm-hmm. we, we never... <laughs> they were probably not paid. <laughs> no, they were not paid. Um, so, like, when we see those moments of the light and the crystal floating, we find out later in the movie that that is not an omniscient camera filming two characters. That is a special effect person and two actors per- saying that this is the thing that starts. So, it, mm-hmm. it is really hard to parse, and that's why... I don't think you and I are ever going to have an answer for sure because by the definition of the way this like incredibly creative movie is made, like we we have we have no idea what happened at the beginning, and and that's the pro- <clears throat> and that's the rub, right? Yeah. Is that as outside perspective as outside per- perspectives, and Levi is either in the wind or dead, right? As outside perspectives, we don't know what actually happened. All we know is that John has revealed enough about his character to let us know how he horribly abused and gaslit somebody who he said yeah. was his friend yeah. for, for a few months yeah. before that man was either... Killed um, by him. Killed by him. Killed by a cosmic entity. Forced to leave town because John had so fucking fucked him up that he was like, I gotta go. Yeah. 
Which is also, he kept, I mean, he did kept saying he was leaving too, which, but we do see the scene of him bloodied and destroyed on the coast for like a split second too. So, and that, and that's, yeah, yeah, like that's the one thing. Like, like did he have it? Did, did he have him maybe film that's that or is that documentary footage? It seemed like it might have been news footage so that he put in. So, like, yeah, but we, it was shot in a different way than the other footage. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it, it, because even if it's a reenactment, then he was in on it. And this is part of the story that they cooked up together. And maybe Levi was playing a character. Like, that's what's so goddamn complicated. But the one thing is, like, why it's hard for me to believe that a cosmic entity matters at the end of this is, like, so separating the first thing, you know there's no cult. There's no real cult. You know the geometric shapes don't mean anything. You know the cats don't mean anything. You know the cactus and the fruit doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know their little trail that they follow to the cabin on the outskirts of time was all manipulated by John. You know subsequent raisings of the quartz was all manipulated by mm-hmm. by John. Oh, so, uh, barnacle skull. That you know the barnacle skull the was fake. So like he put like a composite skull in the water. Some barnacles got on it. Yeah, it looked it looked fucking badass. It it's like it's some cool. Bloodborne shit. Yeah. So, like, the idea that then at the end of all this there actually is a cosmic entity is a fun twist, but just doesn't match, I think, what the movie's trying to do. I think that what is important is that um, this is a movie about to is about us as an audience trying to solve what's happening, and we're being lo- gaslit by a unreliable narrator. Yeah, and that unreliable narrator is. For his own purpose in the universe and for financial gain, two things, right? Mm-hmm. These are two, both of these are important. He thinks he can make money off of this and also it will give him a place in the universe if he understands this. He is making up a tale to put a cosmic mystery into context. And yeah, in order I mean, to do that, he's manipulating, he's running numbers, he's faking shit. Like he's he's trying to he's trying to make some sort of the universe make a little be a little bit smaller and make a little bit more sense via fascist lies. <laughs> I mean, but he's doing he, he is very clear he wants to do this to become rich and successful too. But we're already so far into this. I agree. Let's let's start going through some more stuff and more specifics. I will also say like if you haven't been clued in, if you've been listening this far like we say this for most movies, but, like, you could probably follow the plot of Mortal Engines <laughs> if, if you and listen to us talk about it, maybe. Like, please don't listen to any more of this. Go watch this movie. It's on Hulu right now. Um, it's available for digital renting, too. But, like, I this is, this is such a... We are not going to explain this well because we're still, as you can tell, figuring it out. So if all that sounded at least interesting to you, you may go in with a little bit bigger, uh, interest, different perspective than we had when we started this movie. But I would beg you to stop at this break and go watch the movie and come back to this because I don't know how you're going to follow anything that we're talking about. So I, I, I don't know why how you made it this far. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not following 90% of what we're talking about, <laughs> and I've seen the movie. So, yeah, Peter, are you ready to w- let's talk more about something in the dirt? Yeah, let's get let's get dirty. Let's get dirty. Gonna get I like the dirty.
So Summon the Dirt opens with, like I said, like we think it's an omnipresent camera filming these two two bros, brosifs, I would say, maybe. And it's not. We find out later these are reenactments. But uh, yeah, it's it there. This is a real life apartment building. Justin Benson, played by Levi, is having a cigarette. Just moved into the building. Doesn't have anything. We find out later that he's in the building because he um, is on parole um, for pub for being a sex offender for like in a joke from I think The Hangover, um, publicly urinating on a closed daycare during COVID. I I just love that the movie is plays with who you think is going to be the dirtbag piece of shit in this movie because Levi yeah. has long hair. He dresses like a dirtbag. <laughs> yeah, his um, he has tattoos everywhere. His criminal record gets wider. He has all these sketchy like I got to go to my volunteer job and I got to go. He lies about it. He lies yeah. about a lot of that stuff. Yeah, because he's he's embarrassed and like even even um, John when he's like, so you actually are a sex offender because you like. You peed on a closed daycare and didn't realize it because you were drunk. Like, oh my god! Like, that's you know terrible. Worst, worst luck. Like, uh, and that's what he is. He's a hard luck person. He seems generally kind of nice. He like his other uh, run in with the law was you find out later was to like help his sister who was like he feels terrible that he got he was the first one that offered her drugs at some point when they were kids and she had gotten something stolen by it sounds like a shitty boyfriend in a landscape company and he helped her steal it back and he got in a bunch of trouble for that so like there's he does have this he he feels like a well intentioned person who helps people helps his friends and his family even if it means like breaking the quote-unquote law and then he keeps he's the one who keeps getting in trouble for all this shit so yeah he has this shitty apartment he doesn't have furniture and he meets john who's outside smoking and he's covered in blood he's like oh yeah i do these what i'm a wedding photographer and it was a goth wedding and then he's like hey i have a couch like i have all this stuff in storage because my boy my husband is it boyfriend or husband 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 he's like i broke up with my husband we're getting divorced. He still supports me, but I put all of this. We had all this stuff, and I put it in a storage. You, you can have it. And so, yeah, he's bringing the couch up to to Levi's place. When as he's leaving, and they shoot the shit for a little bit, um, he sees this. Like all we see is like this reflection of of light, and he pauses. And he's like, I felt like a presence. And they talk about was there a murder in the building? And he's like, Yeah, there was a murder in the building like ten years ago. John tells this story that, again, we find out later is completely fake. Uh, not true. Uh, something about, like, a junkie who was killed by the police or something like that in the building. Um, and Levi walks in the room. He doesn't see anything. But then seconds later, we see the light shine, kind of start the kaleidoscope light effect happen again. And then Levi's like, oh, my God, I feel it, too. I see it. And then this 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 piece of quartz that, that John was using for an ashtray outside moments ago, which also means for some reason he brought it into Levi's apartment, it starts floating, starts floating up uh, into the air for a little bit. And they that's the they feel like there's a presence or a ghost. And that's when they decide, hey, what should we do with this? Should we try to do like a YouTube show? And they're like, no, we won't get taken seriously. Let's make a documentary about this this and netflix would love this and all these other things that john starts suggesting now again we see all that stuff we think it's the opening to a movie and it is but it's the opening to john and levi's movie 
<laughs> that they went and made to capture the moments that happened that we never actually see. So that that's the part that, like, as you start realizing kind of what's going on, again, that's the part that even only having seen this movie once that I'm thinking about as we go through it from another perspective. Everything that I thought I was seeing, which was Justin and Aaron filming these characters that they were playing Levi and John is not true. I am seeing Levi and John's reenactment of those initial moments. So, yeah. And, um, and also while we're here, like the yeah. uh, the opening of this is very similar to, and it's consciously conjuring one of the best works of cosmic horror. Um, and one of the best works of fucking with your sense of reality, uh, house of leaves. Yeah. Um, which is about an LA apartment. There's an yeah. apartment that's been, there's an apartment that an old guy died in and he left some stuff behind instead. And this way it's like a apartment that, that's been empty for 10 years and they don't really know what happened with it. And it's kind of two dirt bags, um, like the side protagonist or pr- main protagonist, depending on which way you view it, of house yeah. of leaves, um, sort of, uh, chasing down trying to chase down leads but ultimately like his uh confused mental state and his substance abuse problems are definitely like you know it, it did remind me that especially because like they talk about creating a documentary which is also a huge part of house of leaves is like this fable documentary about the Davidson tape yeah about the the house and they even have like a door that doesn't make sense doesn't close right and all these other things again you figure out a lot of the stuff even i think the heat coming from it is manipulated by john but uh, who has like a side (laughs) everything in this movie is like could be cosmic mystery or shitty old apartment yeah well also i mean the the, the door the door thing actually was a little bit of a some of this stuff still worked as like oh this is all part of this fake thing the door thing was also like when uh, Levi tries to like, or John tries to put an end to that mystery. It's like, Hey, I just happened to be out back in the alley and I found there's a door. And yeah, in between all of these apartments, there's a door you can go through and look, yours is right by these pipes that are cranked up to a hundred. Like, it's like, Oh wait, you cut like, I don't really buy your story. You just discovered this. It feels like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like that mystery ends up kind of being like nothing, which also to you, you kind of made the point that the tapes being destroyed by the heat doesn't make any goddamn sense either, but it makes more sense that that was the way that Levi was accessing the apartment and could have easily then burned the tapes on the radiator that's right inside the door. Yeah, and, yeah. and John gets, John doesn't have immediate access to the apartment as far as we know, but then right after that, Levi, once they start solving this mystery, Levi gives John keys. Yeah, and then John says something along the lines of, <clears throat> "You know, on like Dateline and stuff, like this is how people get murdered," yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, sort of. Again, I do think pretty- watching this again, there's going to be more of those like, oh, whether it was for the reenactment or a documentary, like John is tipping his hat or like purposely trying to show where his narrative is going to go. Yeah, and um, while we're here, also, like, I think it's very interesting. And when we're talking about unreliable narrators and the fact that they cast out on Levi. Levi is, for all intents and purposes, a functional alcoholic. He holds down his day job until the project completely derails his life and he gets fired. The drinking doesn't seem to interrupt the filming. Um, but he is constantly taking nips from the bottle. And if it's a reenactment, that means John is like, oh, yeah. You were drinking at this time. Remember that? You were drinking at this time, which yeah. means John is trying to make him look worse. 
But there's a weird detail that makes John look funny, which is that John says that his ex was an AA, and so he just sort of naturally fell out of drinking. Yep. Which is something that happens to people, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, but like, you know, it wasn't that important. He, he, was, he was like, yeah, he's like, I went to the program and I, I, it made sense for me not to drink yeah. anymore. And like my my uh, my father-in-law was never an alcoholic, was never a drinker, but because he was never a drinker, not for religious reasons, just because they had alcoholism in the family, and he was just like, that's not my bag. Um my mother-in-law stops drinking that that like she was just like oh i i don't even drink, bring beer in the house because like eventually your partner and you just kind of you yeah i mean that was the, the, break I, up. I i both me and my wife had similar experience my mom uh is hypoglycemic so she can't have alcohol and so my dad like never like every once in a while would grab a beer but like basically never drank and again if i suppose if you're partner and your spouse can't drink it makes it less fun and then it wasn't until i was like in college that i met up that he like made friends made a fun adult friend who loved to go out to the bars in their 50s and then he like would would say insane things to me as like a 25 year old like We're, we like these things called jaeger bombs have you ever heard of <laughs> so my dad got into drinking for like a stretch later and then they stopped being friends or whatever and then he kind yeah. of just stopped again uh and then my wife is the same way because uh her dad her uh, her her biological father was an alcoholic and they got to, got split up got divorced very early and then like her mom never drank in the house is kind of like a hey i like i never even in a in a non-harmful way want to seem like your dad who has you know kind of yeah. destructive and so like later on when they grew up she would occasionally you know go out to a casino or have a few drinks or something like that even now like she'll come over and on new year's and have a few drinks uh, baileys or something like that but just that thing of like oh i'm i've ar- there's already this person in your life who is damaging and so i'm I, me being a part of it is not a good idea right now yeah it's just a it's a thing that people do and at first you're like oh that seems pretty noble of yeah. john and then you realize as the movie goes on John and Levi are starting to share habits, and you're like, oh, that's funny. John, just without without commentary, is cracking PBRs. Yep. And at first, you're like, you're like, it's kind of funny. You're like, well, I guess there's no, if you're, if you don't have a problem with it, there's no reason why you can't have a few beers. And also, like, you're sharing habits with this guy, and like, drinking is just, yeah. Well, and John starts smoking too. Yes, he picks up smoking, and Levi, like, at one point is like, oh, you're starting to look like a smoker. Like, they're sharing, they're sharing each other's sort of um, vices and habits, which is way more important because John's corruption and influence on Levi is going to be way bigger than Levi being like, hey, I always have beer in the fridge. See, I also see it like now now that we know what a manipulator and a gaslighter that John is, that he was doing that as a alcoholic. Oh, you think John was the alcoholic? I think John was was the alcoholic, and he lied about that whole oh, thing. Interesting. No, I see it as like because he's like an abusive, emotional manipulator. Like if you're if you're gonna be someone who's like abusing someone, you need to be like, hey, we're the same. Like you gotta like kind of. That is true. So you like need people on their level, if you're gonna be a piece of shit. Yeah. Like so that. like, there's always a conflict, um, even like a funny one between people who are sober and people who are drinking, right? Like. If you're the sober person, it's like all my friends are annoying when they're drunk or like drunk people around sober people are naturally distrustful because they're like, I don't like that you're going to remember all this clearly and I'm clearly a little off, right? Like it's it's not a fun dichotomy. So like if he was – let's say he was always like that and was manipulating his ex-husband too. If he's getting sober, obviously like I'm right there with you. I'm going to get sober too. We're the same. And like I see the same thing then reversing with – 
with Levi, where he's like, oh, you're drinking? Yeah, I love drinking, too. It, you're, look, we're both smoking together. Same brand. He even mentions we're smoking the same brand. That, like, that's a manipulation right. tactic. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, I interpret it now a little bit differently. I, yeah. I saw him sort of falling off the wagon immediately as sort of like a sign that maybe he did have a drinking problem before. Now I'm seeing it as like, oh, he just adopts little habits that make uh, yeah. lower um, trust thresholds. Yep. Correct. Yeah, I think I think that's right. But that's that's an important step in where we're going, right? Because yep. these two, they see, yes, this piece of quartz floating in the middle of the room. John sees it first. He invites Levi in like five seconds later. They both stare at it. It casts this sort of like balancing light across the room. And this immediately sets off a quest that John is like. Well, but John is immediately to. like, he's like, what should we do with this? And Levi's like, like a YouTube thing, like a Ghost Hunters. John's like. No, no, like, let's do, like, a documentary. Like, one of the things about this movie is that John very clearly has an idea for the name of the movie, like, the what he wants to do with it, what he wants to create. And he keeps trying to, like, he almost tries to manipulate Levi into, like, we finish each other's sentences, just say it. And then, but anytime Levi has a thing that's outside of his narrative, he's like, yeah, but that's not, I don't like that. Like, he is, manip- he's very much manipulating him into trying to get what he's saying and then correcting him when he's like, that's not right. So, like, even early on when Levi's the one that has the idea for the YouTube, like, should we film some of this and do YouTube stuff? And John's like, no, like, I don't know, like, maybe something bigger. Like, like he's he's trying to get him to be like, you know, documentary, we'll make a movie out of this. Like, that's where we can get famous and have money and stuff like that. I will say, like, going back to our previous conversation about the inciting incident, what do you make of the fact that, like, even in the reenactment, John had to – they had the crystal that he was ashing into at the table outside of the apartment, and that's the same crystal that floats. So John had to have brought that up into Levi's apartment. Like, Levi at, had the – the crystal was in the closet when Levi moved in. But it's out but – but at the opening – again, it's a no, reenactment. Levi brings it down to use as an ashtray because Levi doesn't know what it is. Oh, but Levi brings it back up to the apartment and sets it on the. Levi okay. brings it down, and Levi brings it up. I guess I missed that. Levi. I'm not saying that John didn't down. have access to the apartment and couldn't have planned yeah, okay. it before Levi moved in, but Levi. And found again, it we're in the seeing closet. a reenactment, so either way, it's, they're like, "This crystal's important, and we need it in the early scene." So it's not exactly what happened. Like maybe he, in the real version of this, wasn't using it to ash when they first met. But okay, that that makes at least a little more sense for the yeah. fake version of events that we see. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and it's like, you know, like, if we're following like, you know, basic, basic logic, like, it could have been in there, John could have broken in, we don't fucking know. But the story that we're being told is, is this thing happens, it starts floating, and they start chasing down forces. And John is immediately rolling out bullshit. Um, he's immediately rolling out, uh, a, he's like, oh, when I was a kid, I had this book, The Geometry of Magnetism. It was written in Esperanto and it was hard to understand. Yeah. It was about, and it was about how like the universe has these, these unforeseen sort of forces and magnetism and gravity and how they could be affected. And he started starting to start off with pseudoscience that, and he's quoting a source that does not exist. Yeah, and this is and very interesting. This is the most House of Leaves thing here is that there's like a weird book written in Esperanto that no one can understand, <laughs> and yet also the well, book that's exist. the thing. So at first it <laughs> seems like that, right? And like that book and the events and like the idea that someone could be buried here, which is where something in the dirt comes, and like 
that there was a, some of the, all these famous people who who experience stuff. He keeps listing off like um, these famous people that lived there and everything else that um, they experienced that helped inspire all their work. And then he's like, and I had this, now that I'm thinking about it, I had this book that I remember and like it had all these weird shapes. And like what we, the first, at the beginning of this movie, you think that you're starting to uncover like the occult or cultish or otherworldly cosmic horror mystery. But in retrospect, John is just throwing out all this stuff that he knows is going to lead to all these other things. And he's making, he's making up stuff about the building, the architects of the neighborhood. And like the idea that what eventually leads to this Pythagorean cult of like geometric shapes. And he's like very selectively noting other places in the city that have this shape as a way to connect it. And that's like where the movie starts going for the first like 35, 40 minutes. They go to a cemetery. They go to the library. They're finding all these clues. And you find out later John is kind of like is, is leading this way. And you can see it in retrospect too because like there's parts of the movie where like Le- Levi kind of thinks they're shooting the – they're throwing out theories. And John is very set like this is the Pythagorean cult mystery essentially. Like he's already got his track. And like when yeah. Levi starts saying stuff <laughs> about like – uh, 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 like uh, other universe theory, or um, or uh, this is all the Matrix simulation theory. Like John lets him talk, and then is like, "Yeah, but that couldn't be it, really." Because then this, like, he's not really interested in pursuing the what are all the weirdest shits that we've ever heard, and maybe that's connected here. Because jo- Levi is thinking that we're just drunk people like throwing out crazy theories and Levi's like, I have a specific narrative. And one of the clearest senses that like things are really off is that like they've been searching around this, uh, this. So he, he says, Hey, 1908, maybe that's a weird number. My radio is saying 1908 and he never shows Levi the radio. He's like, does that radio go to 1908? And he's like, Nope. But then he's like, he has this message that kind of sounds like him on tape. And it's like, Levi's still going along with it. And he's like, maybe look at the architect. The architect died in or died in 1908 or whatever. So maybe that connects to this. Let's go to the graveyard to find him. And they're walking around the graveyard. And they're looking for a long time while, um, while John is kind of spouting his theory and telling all this information about the Pythagorean cult. And finally, they've been there so long. Levi's like, look, I missed work yesterday. Like, I got to go. I can't keep going around the cemetery. And John's like, oh, look. (laughs) Okay, I got it. What about that grave? Oh, look, there it is right there. And then he's like, he goes and he's like, hey, that kind of looks like from when he was born to when he died, looks like a phone number. Let's call it. Like, he, he so clearly has everything. And this keeps going on. It gets more and more obvious throughout the movie. But he's so obviously, like, in retrospect, I just thought, oh, they, he saw it and then they start going and he's putting the pieces together. Like when I saw those scenes, I didn't realize what was going on. But in retrospect, it is so clear that like John is just like, nope, I have this movie I want to make about this Pythagorean cult that I'm coming up with. And I'm running there while Levi is still thinking that we're in this movie where we spout crazy cosmic theories. And I'm not interested yeah. in that. And so what's, what's, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, the the disregarding of Levi, the bulldozing of Levi, it's not even about him not finding Levi's ideas credible or Levi being dumb or whatever. No. 
It's that it's a power. It's not the movie that we're say, making. I am not. Uh, it's not the movie we're making. Also, this is not the reality that I am creating for the both of us. Yeah, I am the one that fashions reality because this is something that fascists do, right? Yeah, they bend reality. They they distort facts. They remove facts from the conversation when they're inconvenient. They uh, sneak in. They sneak in little subversions. Uh, this is what this is what they do. And him saying. I'm disregarding your theory, not because it's stupid or whatever, but because it doesn't, it, because I didn't come from me and I, I am the, the id. I am the, the, the voice of the universe. I am the yeah. central. Yeah. He is, because he is a fundamentally, a, it has a narcissistic personality yeah. disorder bordering on sociopathy, maybe. Yeah. That creates these scenarios where whatever crazy shit happens, uh, it's within his frame and it doesn't matter. Well, it but also, it's, it's not going to, like, he's like, we can't follow your thread because, and again, we don't know this at this point in the movie, but we can't follow your thread because it's not going to add up to anything. I've yeah. laid a trail of breadcrumbs through this whole thing. And, like, if we do your thing, it's not going to mean anything. Yeah. So I have, I have, uh, so one, one, uh, we're going to get to the connections to the previous movies in a moment. Yeah. Because what's interesting is the connections to the previous movies John doesn't work into his theory at all. Yeah. They're just sort of, we see them, but maybe that's just a coincidence. Like, it's just, it's part of that universe. Okay. Uh, here's some theories that are thrown out and either rejected or, or ran through. Because this is fascinating. This is why some people fucking hate this movie. is because they just run through theories. Seed theory is something that uh, that uh, Levi puts out. That's the idea that we were seeded as a species yep. uh, so that aliens could um, do something with us. Yep. Perhaps we're in an alien zoo. Time travel is one of the theories. Uh, Earth-like planets is something that Levi throws out and then John disregards. Yeah, these hey. are all Levi theories. It feels yes. like... I should just pause. It feels like... They're trading f- theories back and forth when in the first 45 minutes. Like, you don't realize what's going on yet. In retrospect, every theory that's not the Pythagorean cult and related theories is coming from Levi. And John keeps going back to the same theory over and over and over again. Yes. But but and that, like, I didn't realize that till halfway through, like, yeah, more than yeah. halfway through the movie. And he's like, well, I need a through thread. And this is yeah. what my, my yeah. you know, this is what the story is for me. Um, John says something about, well, I read this thing on the, on the dimensions and, and scientists think there's 10 dimensions and yep. perhaps these dimensions overlap. And Levi goes, where'd you hear that? And he's a podcast. Oh, I don't know. I got it from Reddit. He just keeps going down this like, yeah, I got it from a thing. They got it from a thing. Got it from a thing. Yeah. He made it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, wormholes and dimensional warping. Perhaps timelines are overlapping. The earthquakes in um, the Western Hemisphere, notably California, um, that's something that keeps having to leave Levi, and Levi thinks it's part of the story because he feels it in his bones. But John is like, earthquakes happen. And then eventually John's like, wait, I could work this into the story. What if there's, what if uh, underneath the building there's something strange happening? Yeah, Um, well, and then he he goes and breaks all their shit and blames it on an earthquake. Yes. Um... Magnetic forces and gravity, something weird that's happening that John keeps disregarding, but Levi keeps coming back to, and John angrily disregards. This is something that maybe this is real. Gravity doesn't change, 
but they measure gravity and it did change. And John keeps getting mad that Levi keeps coming back to this theory. Like Levi made a genuine discovery that his weight is fluctuating. And I don't know how you fake that. Well, so one, we only see it as part of a reenactment, never as part of the documentary footage. And two, he's an alcoholic who's been on a very long bender who notices that the since the last time he measured himself, he's lost 15 pounds. So like... But he didn't lose five pounds. He lost 20. He went from like 175 to 150. Sure, but like, <laughs> maybe he's not. I mean, like... Yeah. I'm not saying it's definitive. It's not showing 10 fucking... pounds. It's showing, like, it's, one, it's showing 158 versus 178. And he's a very skinny guy who's smoking and drinking all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying that's interesting that John keeps disregard angrily disregarding that theory and trying to push it out of the film. And Levi yeah. keeps coming back to it. And Levi has genuine kind of somewhat evidence for it. And they're measuring, they're measuring gravity and it's not measuring what it's supposed to measure. Yeah. Um, end of the world judgment day stuff is going on, which we need yeah. to discuss right now. So... John is part of a end-of-the-world doomsday evangelical cult. That's right. right. Not the cult from the Endless, because that's not a Christian cult. John uses this belief system that the world is ending as an excuse for... His behavior. um, His behavior, for genocide. He literally specifically calls out and he says, why do people get so worked up about genocide? I mean, we're all going to die anyways. Like, Yeah, he, he has a nihilist... Like Albert Camus view of like existentialism through the Doomsday yeah. Cult that everything is is moving and you should just do whatever you want at any point that makes sense to you or would benefit you and obviously that's what he's doing this whole You're, movie too yeah it's 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 he takes nihil I mean that's a common tactic of fascists you take yeah. nihilism which is a completely legitimate belief system and then when people are ground down into the sort of um, meaningless uh, like muddle. You say, I actually have a meaning for you. <laughs> and it involves brown shirts. Yeah. Um, so uh, math as the fundamental building blocks of the universe is very funny because John basically admits at the end, like, the mo- the thing he fakes the most is the math. He completely misunderstands, like, Py- Pythagorean theorem. He changes the numbers around. Well, but he also he says that the co- there's no, like, so I think, but I think he's he's making up all that, like. I don't think he believes there's a Pythagorean cult that he's investigating. I think that's part of his narrative that he's scripting for them to find along the way as the reason for this. But, like, yeah, he is using that. My point is that, like, he's like, okay, check this out. I'm going to form a triangle in the corner of the screen. He believes believes that, uh, you know. uh, I don't think he believes it. Like, he stands in front of a door and goes, look at this angle. Like, he's trying to make dreams of a witch house happen or something. But, like, it's not. (laughs) I don't think he believes. Again, I know we're parsing words, but this is his thing that he's writing. Like, he is making a movie about a Pythagorean, a fictional movie that he's trying to make seem real. And so, like, I don't think he believes it, is what I am now realizing uh, in a very comical way. uh, I'm now realizing that um, (laughs) that in House of Leaves, or not in House of Leaves, sorry, uh, in uh, Dreams in the Witch House, uh, <laughs> the protagonist is like, I stayed in this shithole that was like poorly cobbled together and fixed. He's like, the house came together in really strange angles. And I was like, 
were you just staying in a shithole that they just keep patching everything together? No. The movie, the, the book doesn't humor that. I actually really like the short story, but it doesn't humor that. But like now I'm realizing now, like, weren't you just staying in a place that like yeah. they just mudded together? A well, bunch I mean, of that's their whole walls? thing with the door, like a door that won't close. Like yeah, when it gets hot, one of my doors doesn't close right because of the. Uh, Watch yeah. this. Yeah. What Peter did is that there's a door behind him and he went to go close it. I sometimes think you forget that no one can see this. Except I can, No, no, I'm I'm showing you. You said watch this? I know. I know how doors work. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm showing you that the door literally behind me uh, yeah. has uh, swelled or the house has settled in such a way yeah. that I haven't gone and adjusted the, the knobs because it's to a closet. I don't really care. I know. I, I um, have a door every – I have a, a the bathroom door in like our master off-suite bathroom or whatever. That door every summer is hard to close because like it's cheap wood and it expands with the humidity. Like, yeah. I mean it's – it seems so obvious that there was nothing weird about that door. But like again <laughs> – the movie does a good job of getting you caught up in all of these elements that are both at home in Lovecraft stories and also, like, as a direct inspiration, are at home in Benson Moorhead movies as yes. these Lovecraftian elements. So, like, yes. What's funny is like I'm just in case I don't get back. To I want to. I do want to. I have a whole list here, but okay, I know. Okay, your thought. I was just gonna say like the thing that. It's already, like, as we're talking about, makes me want to bump it up half a star. Is because I also just realized, like, how much I thought it was going to be one movie and was excited for a cosmic horror, Lovecraftian-ish Benson Moorhead movie. And, like, that's not the movie that this movie is at all. No. And in, in retrospect, like, it is not that movie at all. And It's like, not about I, contending I'm, with God. Or yeah, or like the horrors that exist out in the universe. It's it's more about like the horrors that exist within human beings who can be grossly manipulative and like use horror tropes to like or or fascist tropes or whatever or gaslighting to get their way. So like as I'm I'm getting more excited about this movie talking about only because like I do I already suspected this, but I do think if I watched it again, knowing that there's not a it's not about that. It's about them using those tropes that you're expecting in a Benson Moorhead movie to cause a lot of misdirect in the first hour, 90 minutes of the movie to miss what this movie is, which is about a sociopath manipulating his friend through horror tropes to follow a mystery that probably doesn't exist. It's true. It's yeah. true. I mean, uh, it is a movie that, like, this happens very rarely on the show, but it's happened a couple times this year where as we're talking about it, I realized I liked it uh, even more. Yeah, me too. Um, it happened with Jupiter, uh, not Jupiter Ascending, uh, Battle Angel Alita. I yeah. was like, wait a minute, this actually rules. And then after we were after we were done recording, I bumped it up a half star. Yeah. Um, okay, so really quickly. Um, Py Pythagorean Brotherhood is what we were talking about, which was a real thing, but it did it fizzled out at some point. Um, just a weird math cult. Uh, Levi throws out Freemasons, Moose Lodge, the, the Rose. He's like, Oh, we're talking cults. Yeah. Let's talk about cults. And John's yeah. like, no, I want to talk about one very specific cult for my purpose. Yes. And they're all secret society, Illuminati yeah. shit. But, and, uh, Levi has probably listened to enough, uh, drunk dumbasses at the bar. Probably people like me. Um, Talk to him about like crazy conspiracy theories. Cause I don't believe in any of these, but I find them very. Yeah. They're fun to talk about. 
Um, that he's like, he's familiar with these words. And I love that he thinks the Rosicrucians are called the Rose Croutons. And then numerology, the 1908 thing keeps coming back. Um, evangelical end of days, churches, city planner conspiracies. Yeah. I didn't realize this movie was going to feel so much like, um, under the silver lake at a certain point. I, I haven't, I haven't seen under the silver lake. Oh, you like it. Um, I know. I keep meaning to watch it. You know, you know, what's kept me away. What? Covering it for the show. Fucking three hours long. It's it's a good three hours though. Um, music theory. There's a point when he pulls out this idea that this the the, the universe vibrates to a, a specific resonance. Yeah. This is my oh, way. Oh, the music, yeah, where they're playing the guitar, the chords. But you realize that that's just a, and then it does move. But you realize later on that that's the special effects guy doing. Like yes. It's, yeah. It's uh because uh the thing resonates with Beethoven's Ode to Joy, which by the way, um you're someone who likes. Only like songs with um, lyrics in it. Um, do you do you like Beethoven? Uh, no, not enough lyrics. Got it. You wish Ode I, to Joy. I like going, I like when they sing da da da. Like when they sing, they they put some lyrics to it, like thousand mm-hmm. angels. Like well, all those hymns that they just put onto like public domain music. And so they're true. Like, they're like now it's a church hymn. So. <laughs> sue us Bach this is how you get into like pre-Vatican II Catholicism <laughs> so they did they just basically like said oh that it's ours now we're yeah, gonna write uh, church lyrics we're gonna sing in church yeah I mean who, the first Beethoven I ever heard was 100% repurposed as a church hymn oh, angels yeah. we have heard uh, on high yeah. Yeah. sweetly singing yeah. over yeah. the plains like I don't think those oh were, I like that they those... did or because there weren't enough syllables yeah, it's almost like, like, can you imagine the balls on like the Catholic Church to be like, "This is great. We're gonna write <laughs> shit on it. <laughs> it's catchy. People like this." In a hundred years, they're gonna be putting um, evangelical Christian songs uh, to worship the sea Jesus because um, of global warming. They're gonna, they're gonna um, think misbehaving, blurred lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like this great God. <laughs> And then, like, and holding then, out the Eucharist, you know you want it. And then Marvin Gaze, Marvin Gaze's state will sue a church. <laughs> but you're a bad person. Need some forgiveness. <laughs> Need reconciliation. Uh, and at the end of the movie, they bring back the theremin group that performs the Ode to Joy thing. Just basically, like, laying bare that John, at some point, just took a recording of a theremin group yeah. and used it in... Yeah. Great. Hey Peter, as a as an instrumental fan, what's your top ten Beethoven songs? Oh man, uh, Beethoven's fifth, the fifth of Beethoven, <laughs> Beethoven's ninth. Wait, those are the seven. symphonies, don't they? Don't they have like discrete tracks? I thought I, think, I thought those were, I thought those were like the albums, the and movements? then within the albums, as they say uh, the mm-hmm. albums. Yeah, within the uh, albums, they have uh, they have like actual tracks. Yeah, I love that Beethoven is like he's like my album is dropping. Um. <laughs> he had DJ Clue from all of our LimeWire downloads. New yeah. Beethoven. He did a lot of hot stuff out this week, Vienna, and then he would re- rework the album like Kanye. Um, uh, uh, the uh, <laughs> uh, I do like I do like uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony a lot and the Seventh right. Symphony. I cannot tell you a single movement though. That's 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 a different type of that's nerd. a nerd shit. That's a different type of nerd. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not capable of it, but it's a different thing. 
My all right. So really quickly, we're just I'm just gonna run through a few more. You mentioned simulation theory, mind control via um, the the subconscious or from toxoplasmosis from cats. Oh yep, they yeah, that's I, the whole thing. I love that there are parts in this movie where they're like, well, uh, 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 after the domestication of the cat, and they show archival footage of a woman petting a cat um, from like the 20s or whatever. Uh, schizophrenia. Um, uh, uh, diagnosis uh, went up way higher and I was like yeah man over the 20th century diagnosis for everything went up way yeah. higher we, we 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 weren't we weren't like hey uh, that that woman's just crazy for wanting to work <laughs> like we, we we didn't have that word for a very long time I mean I don't know what you what you're saying there it's like the Amish don't have autism thing it's like well you know what's one good way around never getting diagnosed with autism yeah. <laughs> never seeing a doctor <laughs> lead poisoning human sacrifice and they just find out it was a drug overdose and Levi's like the guy just died of heroin overdose we're in a major city it happens all the time um Alien flora and fauna, which we discussed that at one point they opened the berry. Um, secret signals in Morse code and radiation, ultraviolet rays causing mutation. The entire that is basically an hour and a half of the movie is running through theories. I don't know how much value there is to discussing the rest of the movie in that kind of detail that they follow the crazy pathways from A to B to C to D. It's more important that I think Aaron, like we kind of talk about, like, okay. They well, no, but the whole theory. thing is that, like, but none of it that matters, and I mean that none like, of it matters exactly. Matters. That's why I wanted to just like list it in a list because, like, that's that is that is a good chunk of the movie. An hour to an hour and twenty minutes in the movie is chasing down leads in John and Levi's relationship, strengthening and then deteriorating after that. Yeah, because they think they're working together. Or I should Levi thinks they're working together to come up with theories. And and you find out later that they're not. John has a fake thing that he's put together that hits on these specific cultish theories. And that's the only thing he's interested in. And I, the only reason I'm looking at my phone right now is I'm trying very You're hard. You're so fucking bored. You're so bored. I am trying very hard to watch to find the name of that documentary that I'm talking about that they must have seen about that weird uh, L.A. cult. I'm literally going through my letterbox, doc, like, filtered by documentaries and trying to be like, hey, which one? Oh, that's, oh, it's called The Institute. The Institute. Yeah, here, I'm going to send this to you. Please do. The first, when they're kind of going through the L.A. stuff and finding these weird mysteries and wanting their connection, it re reminded me a lot of this documentary called The Institute, which I would highly recommend anyone watch. Um, again, it's not like one-to-one, -one, but the whole thing about, like, I'm going to this building to get this shape for a clue, which, again, in this movie is all made up by by John. And in the documentary, it's based on, like, it's a weird puzzle to join this cult that ha that really happened in California at some point. but um. Have you it, ever just, it reminds me a lot of it. Have you ever seen a movie that has better justified wonky CGI for an indie movie that costs? No, there's, little? I mean, it's so goddamn genius. So there's a point, because again, you don't know that everything you're watching is a reenactment made by John and Levi, not Aaron and Justin. I know I've said it a million times, but it is complicated. It's good to restate to get your bearings. There's all these things about their childhood, and they use real home movie footage of 
Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead to show little scenes, right? So there's this part where you see this old movie footage and then they're describing a dream. He's describing this dream that he's having where essentially like there's there's fire coming through their apartment building and they're screaming and stuff like that. And obviously you think, well, this is part of the fictional narrative omnipresent camera that we're seeing as, as people who are watching a movie because this you can't see someone's dream, right? So it's not a documentary part that there is omnipresent ca- camera that's showing us these fictional characters' life. What's genius is that later in the movie – they show them shooting that dream sequence with the special effects guy and the flame. Like you realize, holy, that that is the moment where you realize all of this stuff is the movie that they made, not the movie that Justin, I mean, it is the movie that Justin Benson and Aaron Moore had made, but like that whole dream thing where you see it for a second are like, it is so good at making you think you're watching a different movie than you're watching. And like all the cult stuff, all the things of them going after these mysteries, all these things, the, you know, as when you're seeing it without context, it's them riffing and getting obsessed with the supernatural mystery. And as audience members, we're like, where is it going to end up? Probably someplace horrific. Cause it's, or or Lovecraftian or cosmic horror or culty because we know the directors who are making this movie and all of that is this masterful misdirect mm-hmm. where it's it's them other characters in this movie who are making everything that we're seeing yeah even the dream I, sequence I want to take us given the time we've left yeah I want to take what you just said and take us up a metatextual level okay so um really quickly. Um, there's a bunch of references to the endless, and there's uh, um, the uh, uh, end of resolution um, that those events happen in the same universe. Um, there's a, a bunch of breweries or a bunch of signs for the Arcadia Brewery, which in that universe is the, the that's how that cult makes their money. Is oh yeah, that's right. Thing. And they, they they have a cute slogan like for like one of their pilsners that's like the flavor is endless or whatever right yeah. it's it's cute they play House of the Rising Sun over the theater over the radio at some point um, at some point there's a just a, a a disappearing shot that kind of like grazes past but you know the, the clearly Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead wanted us to see this the red seeds the red weed that they smoke in in issue in a resolution and the endless. Uh, that's there. And then uh, a few times, like a few random times, like people on the radio as they're like turning past stations will be like time anomalies in rural San Diego. Like they uh, they keep dropping these references. And apparently when they were done filming, they spent like 10 days, like just going through and just filming all these connections because they were like, yeah, I w- we want to take this up a level. We want people to question their reality on multiple levels and we also want people to know that there is like a possibility since it exists in the same universe there is a possibility that some of this is is actually happening yeah it's just it's just that we now also have staring us right in the eye this bearded psychopath which by the way like aaron is always the sweetie in these movies like it's pretty fun that they made john the fucking like, yeah he's good well the it's better yeah. because Justin has more of like a like a, a Rob McElhenney like malicious yeah. sort of like vibe. Like Rob, Rob McElhenney is by all accounts a nice person, but you know when he when when Mac is being like evil, yeah. it's like 
really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, and and Aaron's always played kind of the more good intentioned, like yes. I'm just trying to do what's right yes. type person. Um, so yeah, I, I always I take us up next, next level by mentioning all of those references because I think those references are in there specifically because they want to turn you and me, yep, into oh, agreed Levi and John, which yep. we are currently doing right the fuck now. Yeah, they <laughs> want us to turn. Yeah, they wanted they want to turn us into that. They also want us to believe. And again, there's, I think, well, I don't just think, I know that when we rewatch this, we're going to be like, well, that was very obvious of what would, like, there's even the, like, there's a documentary head in the first 10 minutes and you're like, wait, I'm watching a narrative film. I'm not watching a mockumentary. Why is there a, there, why is there a talking head who's describing like the events that are going to occur later on in this narrative movie that we're watching? It doesn't make any sense. And I just yeah. said like, okay, well, they're using, they're, they're, they're doing some interesting things. Cause like, as they're describing stuff, they're working with archival footage. And then like, eventually there's another talking head who we find out later knows the first talking head. You're like, oh, these are just like, I don't know, COVID contrivances or a different way of do- approaching filmmaking. It's not until the end of the movie or close to the end of the movie that you start realizing like, oh, yeah, it's because you he was inserting documentary footage when more of the movie becomes documentary footage because they have the footage and it's not just reenactments. I mean, the part that really like was like, wait, what the fuck is this movie was the part where they they leave in this kind of longer scene of them announcing to the camera, not in a documentary format, but in a reenactment format of Levi talking to John about how the disturbances have stopped. And it's, it's very, it's a very funny scene. A lot of this movie is actually really funny because like John is directing Levi and trying to figure out a way to make him, him say like, and then the disturbances stopped in a very naturalistic way. And John is getting frustrated that he can't do that. So like he's having him eat an apple. He's having him take a bite when you say the disturbances have stopped and that'll be the punctuation mark. Like that is a moment where we're seeing the, reenactment footage the movie we've been watching being made and being scripted and being directed directly by john and that was the movie that was that's about like 70 minutes into a 120 minute movie and i was like wait what the fuck is this movie because you have one of the we first get a um we get a uh talking head interview with we haven't had that many at this point we're gonna get more as the movie goes on we get a talking head interview with one of the editors who's like the second editor or this is the second editor that we've met who's like doesn't understand why they're if they're trying to portray real lights, why they're shooting all this reenactment footage and not calling it reenactments, that they're just shooting this footage that are reenact that are supposedly reenactments they're not talking about. And you're like, what are they talking about? What reenact we haven't seen them shoot any reenactments. So what are you talking about? And then they show the theme of them directing the movie that we've been watching and scripting it in their characters and you that was the kind of like the holy shit what is this movie moment because you're like you start piecing together that everything you've seen has been the movie that they've been making um and then you start to put together then it gets more overt that they are making a documentary with reenactments that they're not labeling as reenactments but just acting like that's part of the narrative and that as you mentioned john is getting more and more manipulative with being completely dismissive and starting to do what abusers do, right? Now that Levi's starting to question what's going on and being more reticent, he's not doing the, I'm going to bring you closer. 
We're both smokers. We're both drinkers. We're both doing this mystery together. We're both sharing our crazy theories of what's going on. He starts to, like, try to tear him down so that he's his only lifeline available to him. And he's like, you know, starts bringing up more of his past, starts trying to get more leverage on him, and really starts then starting to reveal some of the bigger mysteries in these like weird manic obvious ways like where the heat is coming from and the way the doors are connected in this like very unconvincing psychotic way that levi is getting again we don't see all of it because we're still seeing a combination of selected documentary footage and reenactments but you can levi starting to leave messages like i want to leave i just need to get out of this town my parole's done i don't want to be here anymore and john is being very dismissive of like no we need to keep going with this mystery but even as their leave uh, their mystery leads them to places levi's like what do you mean how would you know this is here this isn't making sense and that's all footage we're seeing in the movie as part of the documentary components and that kind of leads us to our ending where all we know Again, we're seeing the footage that's assembled for this movie because it has an, an epilogue or a from John. And that is that Levi, according to the movie that we're being presented, has been killed. That one night the, the mysterious gravitational disturbances returned and floated John out to the moon and sent him crashing down to the earth and did the same thing with the quartz. We see the quartz fall down from a height. We, we see a shadow on the moon that could be a human body. It could also easily be special effects because the, the flame dream sequence was sure as hell realistic. Mm-hmm. And then we see news footage of John, or sorry, Levi being found on the beach that he used to visit, torn up into, like, look. it looks like he was, like, dropped from a building. It looks a lot like the, like, the It Follows opening kill. It's yeah. A body on a beach. Not twisted, but, sh- but yeah. But destroyed. Destroyed beyond, like, standard ability, right? This is not someone who fell from a second-story window like they joke at the beginning. This is someone who was fucked up. Which is part of my theory that John didn't kill him. Um, Oh, I think. Because then John is, like, not sad about it. The other documentary... (laughs) John's not sad about it because it's more evidence to the... To the, to the yeah but he knows that's bullshit that's that's the thing it's like and then he films this very creepy epilogue of him going yeah it looks like none of these theories panned out but there's this mystery going on and he's like overacting and he's like we're gonna miss john like it's super creepy in this and fact he that, says like, an awful line dude awful says because <clears throat> he thinks of levi as a waster right Oh, yeah, he says that... And John says he claims... John claims that Levi died doing something important. Yeah. And isn't isn't that a great way to die? Being sucked up by a mysterious cosmic element? I wish I could go that way. And then, like, that's the end of the movie that some editor or him has assembled. Yeah, and like I, like I said, even talking about it here, I, I've started to piece more and more together of, like, it's not a movie about horror... It's not a movie about cosmic horror. It has those trappings. And as you mentioned, those trappings are there to turn the audience, who are likely people that know they're watching a Moorhead Benson movie, into people that think they're watching a Moorhead Benson movie about cults and cosmic horror and everything else. And what we're seeing is like a slice of life into a sociopathic wannabe Hollywood filmmaker who manipulates a well-meaning drifter into 
following a fake mystery for him to manipulate an audience like that yeah. i mean it's it's great it's it does it does what it sets out to do in a fucking genius way it's just that it's hard to not feel like initially and this is why my initial impression uh was maybe a little bit like okay that was okay is because it it's intentionally not giving you what you think you're getting because thinking you're getting what you aren't going to get is so important to how you receive the movie. Like I can't, if I showed this to my wife who has never seen any of their other movies and probably wouldn't be interested in like, I can't imagine someone seeing this movie as someone who hasn't seen their movies before and getting much out of it. And maybe that's incorrect. Maybe they would have a whole different, like they wouldn't have all this other baggage of expectations and they would like it more or less or something like that. But this, this feels so closely tied into manipulating you to think you're getting a movie like all their other movies for Mm -hmm. you to really go along with the ride in the right way yeah and i think it's fascinating that you and i agree that john is a bullshitter for 90 to 100 percent yeah 90 plus percent yeah we're both getting a's like we're in the 90 100 (laughs) percent range um we we both agree, and yet we have so much to talk about because we disagree on whether or not the the inciting incident is, and the ending um, incident is yeah, and the ending incident. I'm willing to admit that it's possible John did it, but he's but Levi is so fucked up that it's like and like it's shot in a way that's very different from the rest of the movie. It's not if it was shot with that glamorous sort of indie sparkly kind of film, the way they shoot the the courts, I'd be like. Yeah, John probably killed this guy, but it's shot in this unglamorous, like, singular shot that looks like crime scene photos. That leads me to... And I don't think John... Well, so, but I do think those... So I do think the footage at the end is either news footage or police footage of him fucked up and destroyed on the beach. But I do think... But here's, here's a really key important part to remember, is that we hear a voicemail of him saying that I'm leaving. We never really see him in the movie, um, but... The, the footage where he is supposedly sucked up, if from my memory, it's shot to by John to make it seem like Levi's there with him, but he probably wasn't ever there. Like, you don't ever – you don't see him get sucked up. You see him with a camera going, oh, my God, Levi, where did you go? And then seeing the camera shake all around, he runs outside and then the quartz falls and you see like a tiny speck silhouette by the moon and then it cuts to like and, the crime and that's the footage. Thing. Like so I'm like I'm with you that that's a reenactment. Yeah. I think John died and I don't know if sorry, I think Levi oh, I, died and I don't I think, know if I don't know if John did it. I oh, okay, that's I mean cuz that's also like the the MO of the if we if we if we're on the same basis that the universe has this being that's kind of the mo of uh the being in parts of the endless it's it's up in the air it's playing these tug of war games with people people fly up in the air it has a uh, a very sort of sick but not evil sense of humor where it will just it will just fuck with people just to see what happens like this could all be an in, within the game of the being, and that's why they decided to use universe connections. Or this yeah. could be unrelated. Or it could be option, true. It could be that he something left in and he was found dead on a beach, washed up, and hit the coral, or something like that, or killed by a shark. 
um, or whatever else it is. And like, this is him adding it to his narrative to make it something that it's not. Yeah. I can buy, like, I don't think it was supernatural. And I agree that we're in, we're seeing a reenactment. I don't think it was cosmic. I think it was natural, but I am willing to say that we, we're not going to know if, uh, if John killed him or whether he was found dead. I do think he's dead at the end. The re- yeah oh yeah I I think he's dead he could maybe yeah. have skipped town but it's not that fun to talk about um, <laughs> also but what's that fo- what's that footage right that's not a yeah, reenactment kind of- that's not documentary so yeah so uh I think that um I think that it's fun that uh I, during Q and A's uh when they were let, when this movie was coming out Benson and Moorhead were like which to the audience is like raise your hand if you think all this is bullshit nothing supernatural happened. And then a third of the audience raised their hand. Raise your hand if you think some supernatural stuff happened, um, but John faked most of it. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you think that um, a lot of supernatural shit happened, but John had to do these reenactments and John started bending the truth. And then a lot of people also raised their hand. Like the immediate audience reactions were like all across the board and why and why i think it's fun that you and i ended up in similar places enough that we could have a conversation but not like uh the exact same spot because like we were able to kind of approach like what what each of us thinks this movie is doing and um i ultimately think that like we'll we're not intended to know this is like the ending of the no it's it's like the ending of inception where it's like the re that doubt is the story the fact that we don't know exactly is the story yeah this this isn't about yeah you're 100 right this isn't about what happened it is about understanding these two characters and to be i mean the whole point of this movie is there's documentary footage there's reenactment footage the documentary footage can be made could be faked but we do learn a lot through this about john and levi and so we know that that they were trying to make a movie. We know that this is all the footage that they shot. Some scripted, maybe some not. They know the story they were trying to tell. And they know where Levi and John both ended up. And so you kind of have to take all of that. And then, like, again, like the usual suspect story, Kaiser Sose story, you have to say, like, what does this tell me about the character of Kaiser Sose? As opposed to what does this tell me about what actually happened in the reality of this movie. And I think that's what this movie does really well. And it's a, I mean, it's a better movie than The Usual Suspects. So if you're hearing this and going, why do you keep comparing it to a bad movie? But I do think it's similar. You, you, you don't know what actually happened at any point in this movie. You just know enough about the characters themselves and what they were trying to do to make some determinations based on everything that you know. And again, so my determination is that this was likely all fake, it was it was constant manipulation from John, and that led to his death and him using that to help catapult his film career at like the most basic level. And and you're saying, hey, there was an incident they couldn't explain it. One person looked to truly try to open his mind and investigate that, and the other person tried to exploit it as a way to get rich and famous. And I, I, both are good interpretations, I think, of what happened here. Yeah, I think they both saw something that they, you know, it's 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 like they both saw a ghost in my example earlier. Like, yeah. they both think they saw something, they both firmly believe that the original incident happens, and they are so, John is so desperate to turn this into a real thing that he just keeps 
bending reality, tries to bend reality to match his story and to make his story more plausible. And this very much reminds me of like, you know, like the fact that we're like stiflingly claustrophobically close to the action. Um, and we're, we have, yeah. we have two unreliable narrators, right? Unfortunately, I everything's can't unreliable. Yeah. Yeah. Levi gets caught up in John's bullshit and John is, is a puppet master here. Um, and I think it's interesting that the movie is both calling to its audience for a long time, follow the threads, follow the threads, follow the threads. And then at the end of the movie, they, they expose the bullshitter enough that you're supposed to go, oh, sometimes the human sense of pattern recognition, because that's like one of the most human traits, right? Yeah. It's like pattern recognition. It's, it's, it's the thing... I was just listening to the Behind the Bastards episode and, and about some of those guys that started like the Illuminati conspiracy in the 60s and 70s and how the number 27 will pop up everywhere once your brain learns to look for the number 27. Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's the same thing as like when you buy, when I had like a 2005 Toyota Corolla that was red, uh, all of a sudden I saw those constantly. Like, yes. You know, yeah. So it's it's, the, it's it, usually called blue car syndrome. You buy a blue car, you see blue cars everywhere. Like you know, it's the same. It's the same phenomena. It's it's a, a se- technically a mostly random set of 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 uh, well, and know, it events. makes. I mean, we are. It's an. It was an evolutionary advantage for us to see things that weren't there. Like the classic example is that like if you were a human being or a descendant of human beings five hundred thousand years ago, and there's a rustling in the bush, could be wind. And it could be nothing, but if you assume it's a panther coming to kill me every single time, whether you ever confirm it's a panther or not, evolutionary, you're more likely to survive, right? Because because it won't be a panther every time, but it will be a panther sometimes. And if you always assume it's a panther and try to take steps to avoid it, that's evolutionary advantage. So, like, there's a lot of good evolutionary biologists who basically say, yeah, we as a species... In the same reason, like, why we eat sugar, right? Like, sugar, getting access to sugar was hugely evolutionary advantageous, which is why we like the taste of it so much, but it was rare. Seeing things that weren't there was a huge evolutionary advantage to us and many other mammals that just freak out and run away like a squirrel does or stuff like that. But now that we've reached the point that we are that, it's actually an evolutionary disadvantage or a cognitive disadvantage to, again, see patterns and see things that aren't there. Um... And in the same case, like be addicted hopelessly to sugar for the same reasons. Like these, these, these things that were advantages now that they're plentiful and now that we've evolved to a certain point yeah. at the top of the food chain are not. And like, so yeah, I like that's why we, we love to see patterns because like we like to see things that don't exist. It's beneficial. Yeah. It has been beneficial for our species. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good way of putting it. And it like, there are. <sighs> there are reasons that can logically explain why we live in an era of constant, both um, harmful conspiracy theories, harmless conspiracy theories that eventually turn into harmful conspiracy theories when they get gobbled up, and also film, weird film discourse, weird online theorizing, this entire, an entire industry of trying to uh, turn the human expression of the arts Mm -hmm. into a logic puzzle that you can solve 
you can rationally determine whether a movie is a 4.0 or a 4.125. Yeah. Um, and this movie sucks because I found seven issues with it, and it's not a cutesy M- MST3K kind of thing. It is a, um, like a, um, this movie doesn't make sense because traditionally women are smaller than men, and I don't know how a humble farm girl could overpower this man. Um, he would clearly win in a fight. You get into this this fucking like nonsense cycle of non-knowledge because people have two things going on. They have pattern recognition and they have just enough knowledge that don't they don't realize that their knowledge has holes in it, right? Yep. They are just just smart enough to be dumb as shit. Yeah. We live in an age of knowledge where people grossly overestimate their own intelligence and then believe that lie. Yeah. And then we also live in an age where people are just insecure and just need something to feel superior about. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that's ultimately about someone who's deeply insecure, deeply afraid of, of irrelevance. Yeah. He gets scooped up by fascist ideology and then, from my perspective, something real happened. Something crazy, miraculous. Something worth um, assessing. From my perspective, some weirds and cosmic weirdness is happening. The point is, I think this cosmic weirdness either was always or started as something completely meaningless. It might have been an aftershock from all the time fuckery happening in San Diego that happened to yeah. affect a place 100 miles away. Yeah. Um <laughs> You never know. It might have been completely, completely pointless. It might have been just like a cosmic creature wagging its tail and the wagging of the tail caused a, a gust of wind. And that's what caused this this strange, strange uh, little little bit of, 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 of twirling in the wind. There's a beautiful mystery in art and there's a beautiful mystery in the world. And faith can give us a sense of um, throughput. Um Science can give us a sense of, of place, but at the end of the day, if you don't embrace that there's mystery, there's things that you, and there's mystery, there's things that you don't understand either because of ignorance or just because they're un- inherently unknowable, you're going to find a shitty coping mechanism for it. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you, like the, the, the expression ignorance is bliss is actually because like the idea of just going, yeah, I guess I just don't need to understand that is actually a liberating thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that. it also then works as, like, uh, it's a COVID movie because of the way it was shot. It also works as an allegory of COVID, right? Where, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, the kind of, like, COVID was a real, is a real thing that affected people and became, like, the center point for these major conspiracies around vaccines and Bill Gates and QAnon and injecting 5G into for tracking purposes, like... The the narrative that like you need to follow to understand how what COVID did to the already popular QAnon conspiracy and like what people believe to this day is like insane. And you're right, you are so deep into that. Like if like like I remember seeing a post recently from someone who is like basically believes that you know that the the lab leak theory was purposely covered up and all the agencies knew about it. And so they had, and since everyone came to the same conclusion three years ago across the world, and we know now that that conclusion was false, then the only answer is that all agencies across the world knew about it 
and we're lying about it to force people to get a vaccine that they like you have to be so deep into that stuff that like there's almost no getting out because like you are like you'd have to you have to start so far back in the narrative to go like well so you took a wrong turn here and then you assumed because that was true that the next 30 things were true and like now you're convinced all that is true how do you even get back to your wrong turn and so like in that way this is this is a little bit of that like what started as either a light refractory or a minor like b- bump or maybe even an earthquake that was happening that they viewed through this prism is now like this massive conspiracy between cactus and magic plants and all these other things that like Levi never real or not Levi and John never go back and even like address the incident that may have never repeated from there. They're just going in, you know, John pushing along very heavily in the same way the bad actors of QAnon and COVID conspiracies do pushing along a narrative uh, to the point that you can't even see where how you how you took that turn in the beginning. So it all you know in that way it also works as a very good allegory on COVID as a whole mm-hmm. and how like an inciting incident, real or imagined or exactly you know, blah 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 can turn turn something crazy. But yeah, I think even though this wasn't a typical Lovecraft movie and it was made by two Lovecraftian boys, uh, I'm really glad we started the month with this again. A, a, a movie that I am so glad that we ended up covering on this show only because I feel like, like The Endless, I said, this is really good. I like this. It was doing some cool stuff. And then I walked away from it. And then th- a few years later, we did it on the show. And I'm like, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies of the last few years. And I feel like being able to watch it and then a couple of days later discuss it is like, oh, I'm not, I, I if I hadn't had this conversation with you, I probably would have said like, better than, you know, uh, synchronic, but maybe a little bit of a lesser work and now it's like it's doing something different but it's just as creative and fantastic as so many of their other movies but next week we really are into lovecraft territory (laughs) with a little movie called the empty man which was one of our favorite movies of 2020 i hope you don't come in next week and be like be like tulpas aren't real so this movie's bullshit that guy's lying to himself (laughs) <laughs> well I, I mean i love the empty man i'm very excited <laughs> the empty man's so good it was, it was both on our best of 2020 lists uh i'm very excited to watch it again um and i think that'll be again there's gonna be this was the only one that we were kind of uncertain on because both of you both of us were saving it to do it on the show um and so i think uh if you're gonna hear a lot of gushing about how much we love shit i can't think of a better lineup than the empty man annihilation and del toro's cabinet of curiosity so it's gonna be a gusher month um that yeah much like sure. the candy or your significant other when you try real hard <laughs> put in a lot of effort it's a gusher month <laughs> yeah uh i think uh what what when i think of what women really want um i watched the film uh by mel gibson um and after if i have any questions left over because it's a mystery of the universe you can solve um i watch a bunch of cosmic horror movies and listen to two white dudes talking on a podcast yeah um that is truly what yeah. women want yeah um ideally it's us talking about how much we're gonna verbally come 
about the film The Empty Man. <laughs> Aaron, I have a question for you. Do you think in uh, that that Cabinet of Curiosity episode that uh, that rock really melted that person's head? <laughs> Hold on, you're acting like I come into every, every movie wondering like this movie is specifically misleading you with 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 reenactments that are designed to be like. I don't come into every movie questioning everything I've seen. This is a movie where you know that what you saw was fake and not the actual thing that happened in the movie. So you're the one. Maybe you should be a little bit more skeptical. Do you watch best? (laughs) Do you watch best in show and go, this guy looks a lot like Eugene Levy, (laughs) but it says it's not him. (laughs) Uh, All right. Eugene Levy does not in fact have two left feet. I've referenced some red carpet material, but this guy does. So clearly very similar, but this is a dog guy. Perhaps related. A cousin. Yeah. Separated at birth, I would say. We should let them know. Uh, yeah, but next week we're covering The Empty Man on... Next. Bring forward. Next. Crap. Yeah. It ain't too dirty to clean my act up. Yeah. If you ain't dirty, you ain't here to party. Ladies, move. Gentlemen, move. Somebody ring the alarm. A fire on the roof. Ring the alarm. And I'm throwing elbows. Ring the alarm. And I'm throwing elbows. Yeah, ring the alarm. to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, It wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, (laughs) If you can't, (laughs) uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>